Good morning to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. I hope that if your kids are going back to school, they are, uh, everything's going safely and smoothly. And if they're um, staying on some sort of Zoom learning or phone learning, um, that is going smoothly as well. Um, I guess I'm feeling pretty optimistic about kind of a new beginning, a new year. My kids, thank God, were all healthy and safe in camp. So I'm hoping that we will. Um, just have more positive updates as uh, as the year goes on. Obviously, with the Yom Narayim coming up, um, it's a fresh start, you know, for the Jewish calendar. Um, but our job here at Jew in the City, pandemic or no pandemic, uh, continues to be the same. We are here to reverse negative associations about religious Jews. We do this by putting forth an approach based on kindness, tolerance, sincerity, and critical thinking. And we do this for the masses out, you know, at large and then at Project Makom um, for people that grew up religious but had negative experiences. Um, thank God we've had tremendous success um, in showing the positive side of Judaism to people that unfortunately had negative experiences with it. Um, and the truth is that the pandemic has brought us historic traffic to this or historic signups to this part of our organization. We've actually had double the amount of signups um, at Project Makum that we normally have. We will be starting our um, annual campaign crowdfunding very shortly. Um, and we understand this is a tough time for many people economically, but whatever you can do to help support our work over at youinthecity.com, um, our crowdfunding campaign will be posted shortly. Um, today we are delighted to um, speak to a woman who, you know, the interesting thing about um, the way that people look on the outside, I think that the country, um, we're getting so aware about how we don't want to be judged by how we look or sort of what group we're part of. And in terms of um, sort of prejudice around racial groups, um, the last few months have really um, been about people um, demanding equality and, you know, um, demanding, um, I don't know, a certain amount of respect, sort of no matter uh, where they come from or what group they're a part of. And the sad thing for me is that I feel like um, this doesn't extend to, to Jews, to Orthodox Jews in a lot of cases. Um, the media continues to highlight the worst cases of our community. Um, and at the same time, I see these cases up, um, up close myself. I, I know now more than ever what can and does go wrong in some places. So um, while when I started the organization in 2007, I really wasn't familiar with um, the problems that are out there. Um, I see these problems very personally now with our Project Mako members. And I believe it's important to talk about that. And we've been trying to have honest conversations, especially as Unorthodox came out um, several months ago and was a huge um, conversation all over the media. We tried to give our perspective at Project Makom, which is that there you know, are abusive and dysfunctional people out there. There may be even be some systematic problems in some communities. Um, at the same time, we have to be careful to not lump everyone together and assume that the bad problems speak to every problem. And um, that's kind of a great segue into this uh, guest that we're about to speak to today. Another thing I was thinking about this morning um, before I came on was um, I have close friends um, in Brooklyn who are Hasidish um, and, you know, the husband especially, the, the wife dresses a little more like uh, modern, um, you might call it, um, but the husband looks very uh, recognizably Hasidish. And I remember a few years ago, um, there was some protest happening in Israel where some really extreme Hasidic sect um, was 
maybe protesting a modern Orthodox school or I don't know, something about secular education. And I remember my friend telling me that her husband was so disgusted by the way these men were conducting themselves and behaving and it was in public and it was a Chal Hashem. And I remember thinking that for the outsider looking in, they would not be able to tell the difference between my friend's husband and these protesters. Um, we make these very quick judgments of, you know, I see a hat, a beard, pay us, you know, this must be a certain type of Jew um, with a certain type of opinion or behavior. Um, and the media loves to repeat these stories again and again. And, and certainly we must call out extremism and, you know, not nice behavior when it occurs. But like, where is the room for the people that have a different approach? So that's that's the nuance that um, we like to bring to the conversation. And um, I think that's a great introduction for Bailu Wertheimer, um, who I connected recently with on LinkedIn. And just her profile fascinated me um, that she is a Hasidic woman working um, in videography. Um, so Bailu, thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, thank you for having me. And I'll return the gesture that also came across your work on LinkedIn um, and, and likewise was fascinated by the approach you take. So uh, yeah, let's take the conversation further. So yeah, so start off, let's tell our uh, listeners, um, where did you grow up? How did you grow up? Um, you know, where do you live and, and how do you live uh, to the present day? Sure. So I was born and raised in Muncie, New York, still live here, although we've gone uh, out of town, although Muncie is uh, quite the suburb, but has seen a significant, significant expansion uh, in recent year and a lot of different uh, zoning development. So we did go slightly out of town. Uh, uh, so but I guess we would still call ourselves Muncie's to the to the wider world. Um, I attended Satmar School. Um, here in Muncie all through my years and actually started teaching there out of school as well. Um, and then as well, I, I taught in uh, Satmar Monroe, which is like a half hour uh, commute. Um, so I did that for uh, five years. Um, and then I, my, my side uh, interest hobby was always in drama and specifically acting and script writing. I'd love to develop the storyline and the characters and, you know, different messages that, you know, drama is just an incredibly powerful uh, tool, how to connect with different messages and, and impart different messages to an audience. And uh, it was a long evolution how I slowly took it from local school plays and um, we took it, then we took it to a little bit of filming, um, we, you know, just within the school educational uh, framework. And, and through a very slow evolution, we entered the commercial world. Um, so to be very specific, I don't actually operate video cameras. Rather, I develop the storyline, the character, and the different ways we want to storytell and showcase different business owners, um, and then and then develop their you know their unique story. So I'll help them script it. I'll coach them on how to deliver the message. Uh, if we need to, in different cases, we'll bring in, you know, the actors and, and give them their lines, or we'll actually coach the business owners themselves and how to present themselves uh, to the cameras. Yeah, then I have the actual camera operators. Um, I'm not very techie. I, you wouldn't trust me with your actual camera gear. Um, so we bring them in and, and we get the job done. So that's like in an in a extremely short um, snippet of, you know, the journey that I've kind of traveled and where I am today. 
And so you're the chief creative officer of the slingshot guys, which is, um, so I love this. And, you know, the way you're describing your job of sort of writing the storyline and not operating the camera, but like being interested was on the camera. It's actually not that different from what I do as well with the videos that we produce. Um, So, you know, again, I I have to be so careful about, um, because I'm I'm constantly under scrutiny um, from the people that had bad experiences in the Hasidic world and the people that are happily in the Hasidic world, you're too positive, you're too negative, you're too positive, you're too negative. So um, I, you know, I, I really do try to, um, I guess, honor both the, the possibility that there can be different experiences, different type of people. Um, you know, I, the people that I'm coming into contact with um, through Project Makom and, you know, I think sort of the, the larger either OTD or ex-Hasidic community relate to uh, a storyline in unorthodox where we see that um, arts or creativity, um, you know, is not allowed as something that's shunned. Um, and, you know, I guess there's sort of a caveat to say, which is this story is maybe not exactly even what, you know, um, the the original book author or memoir writer necessarily experienced. You know, we, we have members that grew up in Williamsburg that said, ah, girls can play piano. And I don't know about that storyline. We have other members that say, you know, this, you know, is exactly my experience. I relate to it, you know, completely. So how unusual, like where did this interest in, um, you know, the writing and the acting and the drama come from? Was that uncommon for a sophomore girl growing up in Muncie? How did you even come to this? Was it encouraged, discouraged? Um, so I can't say, it, you know, to the point of just being interested in acting and drama and maybe from time to time, uh, kind of discussing what it would feel like to actually have uh, even a, a path, just like between friends to say things like, I wish I could have something like Hollywood in my life um, uh, as teenagers. Uh, it was it was common. I can't, you know, just like there were girls that, you know, had that dream maybe to, to be some kind of scientist or surgeon, which doesn't really happen mm-hmm. um, in, in reality. But, you know, we, we definitely discuss it, dream about it, fantasize about what it would be. Um, just a disclaimer as an adult, uh, a lot of the shine, you know, growing up and, and realizing what, what the world is really about with that Hollywood line, uh, a lot of the shine has uh, significantly uh, faded away. Um, but yeah, as young teenagers, we would have that discussion, what it would be like to live in a world where we could take our talents further. I do have to give my particular school and the school I taught in a lot of credit for very actively um, within the realm of what was allowed, you know, um, the, you know, never uh, performing before a mixed audience, obviously, and then different restrictions that we had. But there was a very, very strong emphasis on developing the girls' talents, both in school and in camp, which, again, I went to Satmar camp. Uh, so, yeah, there was a lot of, a lot of encouragement even for e- each girl to, to shine. You know, again, to be honest, within the boundaries of no mixed audiences and right. uh, even after Bas Mitzvah, which is 12 years old, to not um, perform for public audiences, it was always relegated to the school you attended uh, or the camp you attended. Um, but beyond that, the, the, the basic idea of a woman utilizing all of her talents was tremendously encouraged. So that regard and wanting to perform, acting um, at all, it was never you know, uh, looked at as something wrong, 
but yeah, if you wanted to take it out of the community, you know, it was just for me growing up a, a given that, you know, a professional drama environment wasn't for a nice Jewish Hasidish girl. But, so, uh, wait, so but I guess for me, concept was definitely encouraged. So even as I, you know, have gotten more and more educated about the community and um, at what I find also another thing is that people that have experienced a certain experience, whether it's a mostly positive one or a mostly negative one, I find oftentimes have a hard time understanding that there's someone else out there that might have had a very different experience. So um, would you say, is there a difference between community, like meaning Muncie or like a borough park might be a more open community than a New Square or a Monroe or a Williamsburg? I'm saying, is, would you say that within those different communities, there's a range of how much openness or not openness there is, and that growing up in Muncie um, and the school you went to and the home you came from did allow more openness than um, maybe someone growing up in a more um, insular community? So absolutely, and, and you touched on two factors, which is community and family. And I'll take it even a step further, even different principles, you know, mm -hmm. within a school system. So when, you know, the kind of the changing of the guards after a couple of years, you know, there might be replacements and there might be different people in charge. Also, every single person, parents, educators, each different principal, dean, whatever of the school, will bring their set of values to the table. Um, and to the into their environment, to their family, to their school. And there's another very, very strong power, which is uh, often not discussed. I don't think I've, I've ever heard it discussed is uh, the parent body. Mm -hmm. So I had a, another part of what I did was actually run the teen division of the Satmar uh, day camp. So when I was teaching in the summers, I would run the teen division, TCs as it was called. So um, there I actually had a kind of an administrative role. So I got to hear a lot of, the, of this part of the angle, which is the, parent, the collective parent body. Um, a lot of parents will call in and demand different reforms or different um, restrictions, which they value and they want their kids to conform to. And they want to reduce the peer pressure or they want the school to allow right, different things. So um, that is also a very significant part of the difference you'll see in different schools, different communities, is the collective parent body and whoever is pushing for their version of, you know, what they consider the perfect balance of, of rules versus freedom. So absolutely, different schools will have different, um, you know, different standards and different uh, values. Um, and, and parents also. I'll give my parents, uh, you know, um, I'm not the person to come and validate my parents but for sure for sure that they uh tremendously encouraged us to be honest i think that is like the key word honesty hmm. was like the number one thing in our home um and there was no uh there's no no phony business uh hmm. tolerated so we had to be true to ourselves we had to admit like like i was saying i was always allowed to say and to the credit of my particular school and the principles that i was under right um, never faced backlash for saying, I wish there would be a professional avenue for me, right, uh, to advance in, in drama, which I eventually found in the commercial corporate world. Um, and, I, and I think that acceptance of, yeah, we, and, and I think it's brought down even in, you know, even from uh, the Rambam, or um, I'm not sure if I'm quoting correctly, but that a person should never say, um, I don't like this and this thing that's forbidden. Rather, they should say, I wish I would do it. I wish I would be able to do it, um, but my father in heaven doesn't allow it. So that was the attitude in our home. And I think that that is a very, even in things that are uh, personal, um, 
guidelines that a father or mother may want to, you know, you know, impose on, impose not a good word, but encourage their children to follow. Being able to say, this is hard for me, I wish it wouldn't be so, and validated, I think that was a strong key for me to be able to use my talents and also find a, a niche that would be acceptable to my family and, uh, and true to my values. I just, I'm like nodding my head here as you're talking because um, this idea of authenticity and being able to express yourself for real. So this is so many members of Project Makom. And again, I, I want to validate their experience of not having a safe place to express how they actually feel or have anyone to validate them or be able to, you know, bring up questions or challenges that they have. Um, and also a lot of them experience phoniness or hypocrisy. And so when I think about what makes, um, you know, from life go badly for someone. I mean, I think we, I could write a book at this point about sort of the things not to do for your kids, but um, what I find challenged by, and again, since I'm always the outsider, it's like, what do you, you modern Orthodox Balchuva know exactly? But I, I do have a sense that, you know, I have close friends that are Hasidish, not Samer, but Hasidish. What's been told to me is, an idea that Satmar's monolithic. I think that's how it's, um, you know, maybe showcased in the media. Maybe they don't even um, go through sort of the, the details of which group you're from. But I've had even people that have bad experiences um, concede to me, oh, well, that group is a more open type of Hasidus, but, you know, by Satmar, we're all the same. But that seems to not be your experience. You, you do, from the perspective you're sitting in, it's not a monolithic community. And depending on the family and the schools, there are sort of different, different, I mean, I'm sure it's within the same universe of standards, but some more open or some less open. So it's actually, it's, it's very funny to me that, you know, in, in a way, uh, Satmar is much more about um, trying to see how to, how to say this clearly. So, so different groups, different Hasidis um, kind of attracted the same person in terms of, uh, um, you know, religious stringencies, let's call it. Um, and Satmar is not, it's probably only Hasidus that attracted people more in terms of uh, the ideology instead of the stringency. So I'll just give you an example, a head covering. So Satmar is one of the most diverse communities in that regard, right? That in, within the school, you got the most, uh, the, the biggest range when I look at the mothers at PTA or, mm -hmm. you know, just, I know the families, the biggest range of, of head coverings from just mm -hmm. scarf mm -hmm. to, to almost what, you know, would, would appear to be a, a very modern wig. Right. Um, and in different communities, obviously every community has a range, mm -hmm. but different Hasidus will present a much bigger, uh, 70% wearing one certain type of, you know, head covering and then just a 30% outlier. Where mm -hmm. in Satmar, it's a very even, uh, a very even uh, arc, right? Of, of uh, and so that a very even in, line of, of how. That, yeah, that's in Muncie as opposed to some other more insular communities. There may be no, more. No, it's not. Even, even in Could KG. be. Like Monroe, yes. So Monroe okay. already. Yeah. So Monroe already is a, is a subgroup. But if you know the history, it was opened at a later date and kind of attracted a very specific group of people who wanted to live this village, um, you know, under a village board, uh, the original families kind of maybe attracted more of a similar, yes, uh, mm -hmm. group, but I'm talking about Atmer as, as a whole, 
right? And like you go back uh, to the to, to the origins of after the war and which mm-hmm. families grouped around which leader. Um, you know, I having taught in Satmar and, and actually the teachers kind of um, trade off. So different, especially in high school, it's very departmental. You know, uh, teachers want to fill their week, so they'll they'll teach in different schools. And I, I found that always had to educate uh, the, the, the teachers who were coming out of different, had graduated different schools and were doing some days in Satmar about the diversity within the classes. So within the same class, like I, like some girls wouldn't even know what Hollywood was, right? Right, that's what I was going to ask. And then some girls want to be in yes. Hollywood. <laughs> and what about driving? That, <laughs> what, yeah. what about women driving? Is that universally a no-no for women in Satmar or is there also diversity? Uh, pretty much. It's, yeah, it's actually, it's a school, uh, it's kind of one of the school's vetting points at this point. Okay. Uh, it was always a no-no when I was growing up. It wasn't an official school rule. Um, later on, uh, they did become, a, you know, it did become part of the, the vetting process. So at this point in time, with very rare exceptions, like like real, uh, maybe something medical that would, that would uh, give a family a specific allowance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but very rare. Um, no, it's not, it's not something that's done. How do you feel about how Hasidic Jews, sorry, can you, how do you feel about how Hasidic Jews are depicted in the media? Um, (laughs) so I, I don't read a lot of media. Let's start there. (laughs) Okay. Um, I I do, obviously, yeah, obviously like we'll get to hear the, the big stories and the big scandals. Um, so I, since I don't like, officially like uh, on any broad scale so i'll have social media access to the to the point of uh business um and then there's another part of what we started doing uh actually managing um social media accounts for our clients so to the extent that i need to go in um you know i do have the have that access so i've obviously come across the stories and the mm-hmm. biggest stories are obviously uh, rewritten and repeated within our own um with our own uh, newspapers and news media. So um, obviously by the time, it, it, when it comes to us in the filter down version, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It, it's a very typical headline, right? Anti-Semitic <laughs> article in the New York Times, blah, blah, blah. Um, so so I, I'm not really a good, uh, a good proponent. Um, to be honest, um, to a degree, um, Satmar's approach to media is very interesting. So, uh, on a certain level, we would never really care about what the media said about us. It was we do our thing and what we think is right, and that's it. But on the other hand, there there have been many um, approaches to take out specific ads um, and expensive ads uh, to clarify our position um, in you know in a very professional PR uh, oriented way. So different real uh, heights of real big. Uh, scandals. I do know that there are organized uh, companies, you know, companies or organizations that, that that is their mission to clarify what is the approach and where the rabble rousers have gone out of out of bounds, which happens. Mm-hmm. What about, um, I mean, I see it's, it's a hard conversation to have if you're not um, so privy to, and in some ways I find that to be sort of the most challenging um, part of sort of the constant depiction of Hasidim in the media is that the people being depicted so many of them aren't even consuming the media. So it's like you're talking about someone, they're not even in the room, um, which is kind of a, you know, a, a, a challenging thing to do. Um, we, you know, in terms of the, the things that we're seeing, some of the 
issues in the more, I guess, extreme schools or some of these practices, do you have any sense of, and again, it sounds like you were raised in a healthy family and a, a more modern type of school. Do you have a sense of some of the issues that have come up from the you know, ex-Hasidic or OTD community? Is there more awareness towards mental health help or you know, educating kids on being safe? Do you have a sense that anything has shifted to um, you know, uh, putting better uh, practices into play um, you know, based on you know, people being, uh, getting hurt? Does that make sense? Right. Yeah, I get your question. So I'll have to admit to being very young. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm not even in my 30s. Um, so I, as you know, I wouldn't have that much of a uh, range to compare it with. But I could tell you that for sure, um, even within the, the, the very small amount of time I've been an adult, um, for sure things have changed. You know, unfortunately, just the the uh, widening of the of people who have come back and reported being hurt, and and I think I want to make something like very obvious again, which I haven't seen clearly discussed, is that not all people who are hurt leave the community, right? Which means that there is a path to being hurt and being able to differentiate between like like your what you do with Project Makom, but without having um, I'll just give you like a, a tiny example, like uh, people will regularly write into different publications with their stories of being hurt by maybe different teachers, or educators or parents or just neighborhood people in, in their school. Right. Um, and, and it didn't have it had a very big impact on their emotional health, their mental health didn't necessarily touch their religious convictions, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which is which is a big point that not everyone who is hurt immediately associates it with the broader religious, um, you know, values and outlook on life. And, and to a very minor, uh, you know, a much smaller degree, not everyone who leaves the community was necessarily hurt. A lot of people were tempted, right? They, they just love freedom. So it doesn't mean that they were abused or that they were hurt or that they were scandalized or anything else beyond. And, and I've seen a couple a very honest uh, uh, essays of people who just said, you know, I just wanted a secular lifestyle. That's it. Mm -hmm, there was, mm -hmm. there's nothing, you know, no, it wasn't necessarily abusive or I guess they found it restricting to a certain extent, right. but not as I'm trying to differentiate. Not as scandalous, not, not everything, right? Not, a, wait, yeah, wait, not, not in a way of unorthodox where I was so restricted, I have to run away. No, right. they just wanted more freedom and more freedom and more freedom, right? Right. Uh, and look, so the truth is that someone could, um, decide that uh, you know a Hasidic life is not for them but they want to still live an observant life and someone else could decide that you know they want to you know leave observance completely there's obviously uh, gradations look I happen to have the, the people that we're attracting to our organization and I would say also a lot of these memoirs and stories that have been told of the people that leave it's generally the more salacious stories that make it to the media and I think the people that are hurting especially are the people that are coming to us for you know comfort and for you know um, healing but I think that is an important um, distinction to make that um, you can leave without being hurt you can be hurt and not leave and um, what I appreciate about, appreciate about this conversation in general is just um, the idea of authenticity and sincerity and being able to express, you know, your actual desires. And, you know, for you, um, I think it's amazing that you found a way to um, kind of 
uh, express yourself creatively, um, do it within the standards that you're comfortable with, um, that you believe in. Um, and I think it's really, um, I wish there were more stories like this in the media so that we could have a little bit more of a, a nuanced view and not see um, you know, so many things as black and white. So um, I very much uh, appreciate your time. I guess we have about a couple of minutes to close. Any um, exciting projects that you'd wanna highlight that you've done at your company either in the past or coming up that you'd wanna let us know in the final couple of minutes? Um, I do, I'm very excited about the new, uh, the actual social media management that we uh, delve, that we uh, kind of pivoted into. That was a COVID response because <laughs> very few companies were uh, both because of social distancing and everything about being in, you know, in personal proximity was difficult. And I think, um, you know, it, it, it ties into the same kind of being honest with what your restrictions are and still finding ways to make the core of what you want to do work, which is, which is the same path that led me to the video production, which is I had this core set of, you know, I wanted a script, right? I wanted to develop characters. I wanted to do the kind of dramatic expression of, of what I love. But there were a certain set of restrictions that just, you know, looking at the restrictions, I was able to carve a path. So now with COVID, the same thing happened where I had these restrictions, plus companies weren't really willing to spend a couple thousand dollars on extensive video production. Um, so we so we crafted this social media management as a direct result where we're able to do, uh, you know, also storytelling and writing and everything we love, but uh, on maybe a more budget-friendly, long-term um, commitment. So I think that's really the theme of what I love is knowing your restrictions and then restrictions are not necessarily, maybe even necessarily not a hamper or you know a, a, a lid on what you can do but rather it's it curves you in a certain direction of celebrating your inner core but with that certain set of restrictions uh leading you in a way that you know it, you can celebrate where you come from and also where you're going and not sacrifice either i think i think those you know those two those are your values are, are very much interrelated yeah, I and everything you're saying, I completely agree with. And you know, my wig is a little bit different, but um, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm saying my head and my heart is very much in the same place. So thank you so much for um, for representing this slice um, that we rarely see. Um, and you should have continued Hatzlacha. Thank you so much for having me. It was great talking to you. Hey, you too. All the best. And you can catch us same um, time, same place next week. Okay, bye bye.